Many people today may think that the race issues of America were taken care of in the 60s with the heroic acts of people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. However, the death of George Floyd and the protests that followed have brought to the forefront the issues many people are living with every day. We in the church are forced to ask what role our faith plays in race relations. What do justice and mercy look like as Christians today? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Action in Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in Ministry. Hi, I'm Rachel Legutte, and this is Action in Ministry. I was lucky enough to grow up in a racially diverse pocket of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a white person, and I grew up with a diverse group of friends. I spent time living in a predominantly Black culture, and I'm raising Black children. It's tempting to think that I have race relations figured out. As friends have reached out to me with more and more questions, I'm realizing how important it is to sit and listen. We have an opportunity in the midst of these heavy times to love each other more. Today, I'm joined by three people, Lichelle Jones, Pastor Gerard Bulling, and Pastor John Schmitke. They're not shying away from these hard conversations. Together, they've amassed decades of life and work in interracial settings, working with the church, and working with Black communities. Today, we have the opportunity to sit, listen, and grow I can't tell you how happy I am to have you all here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invite. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Let's start by getting to know you guys all a little bit more. Can we um, start by maybe just telling us where you're from and and the type of work that you're doing? Lichelle, could you go first? I am Lichelle Jones. I am the first. I am born and raised in New York. Migrated to Baltimore to go to high school and then college. I am a mother of a Black male and a Black princess. And as I say that now, um, I guess for the first time of being a mother for 27 years, I get this chill, fear, if you will. Professionally, I am the Assistant Executive Director of Faith and Work, which is a Sandtown-based nonprofit. Sandtown is a urban community in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, You may have heard it before. It was the community that was affected um, after Freddie Gray's untimely passing. The mission was born after the uprising, which in my opinion was a way of the community expressing their hurt, their disappointment, and their anger. So my job as the assistant executive director is to listen, to not assume, and to link the community to resources. So resources from housing to employment, to education, to financial resources, to mental health. I think I have the best job in the world because I get to work with some amazing people who deal with so much pain, so much judgment on a daily basis. Gerard, tell us a little bit about you. Sure, yeah. My name is uh, Pastor Gerard Bowling. Um, I am pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in the north side of St. Louis. We are in the city. Uh, pastor John Schmicky and I are partners there in ministry and in crime, too, right? Partners in crime uh, in ministry. Uh, glad to be with him. Um, 
and he'll tell you more about himself later. Uh, but I'm a big fan of him as well. In our ministry, uh, like I said, we're located in the city center. Uh, and I think something important to our ministry is that I'm from the city. Uh, I was born and raised in New York as well, not in the Bronx, like Lee Shell, in Brooklyn. You know, we got a little, a little thing going on between Brooklyn and the Bronx. But, um, uh, and so I always grew up at urban churches, uh, LCMS churches, and I'm pleased to serve at one. Our church uh, faces a lot of the same um, hardships uh, that a lot of other urban churches do. But uh, no matter where you're at and, and what's going on in the world, uh, you always need Jesus and you need him presented in new ways and fresh ways. Um, and I think our church does a great job of that. Our ministry is really, uh, I would describe it as a dynamic and very holistic ministry. Um, we treat the whole self. Uh, and a lot of our people would compare our ministry to a family, which is what I really, really love um, about it. Uh, we are a church. We have Sunday morning church and worship and all that. We have Bible studies throughout the week. We keep Christ at the center. Um, but we're also at the center of the community. Um, and our church has had a big hand in building up the community uh, with housing projects in the area that John can tell you more about uh, as he was an integral part of that. But then also uh, just being a part of the programming for children and youth uh, and families. We've done some explosive programming, been able to reach hundreds of children uh, every single week. God has blessed us even further to be able to reach people in the Ferguson, Missouri area um, after the Michael Brown incident here. Um, you know, there was this excitement about, well, what can we do uh, in urban areas? A lot of churches, the churches got excited about Ferguson and they did stuff there for one week or two weeks or three weeks. Uh, and then they were gone. They just left. Um, and everything was the same as it was um, after some development happened. Bethlehem was blessed through the uh, Greater Things program and more Greater Things program to do some intentional outreach ministry to the children uh, with something called the Ephrathah Activity Center, EAC. Um, and we bus children in from Ferguson and Jennings, we call it the Ferg Gen Corridor, uh, into different spaces. And we give them the good news of Jesus. Uh, and, and we do it with our leaders, uh, but also with uh, leaders who come from our sister churches all over St. Louis. Um, so kids are breaking those race barriers by experiencing people of different cultures and then vice versa. I'm married to a super beautiful wife and I have two beautiful children. Um, so I am a father. Um, my family is a, a mixed family. So my wife is white. I'm African-American and my kids are mixed race, uh, biracial. Um, and so that presents new kind of struggles and things like that in and of itself as well uh, in teaching them about current events which they need to know about. Thank you, Gerard. I'm John, he alluded a bit to you, uh, to some of your story, but um, you've definitely worn a lot of hats in your time. Share a little bit with us about where you come from and the work that you do. been at Bethlehem since 1989. It's been a great ministry. It's been a, a, an amazing journey of a ministry. We came to a church that had 30 people. Uh, 90% were Caucasian and we're in a predominantly African-American community. 90% commuting into church, 90% elderly, and God's transformed this place to a church that is now 90% African-American, a little bit Hispanic, rest Caucasian. Um, on a given Sunday here, about 75% of everyone here is uh, 45 or younger. So it's a very young church. God has really transformed it. As Gerard said, we've been in the community uh, doing a lot of things, built houses. We have a housing corporation called Better Living Communities. Um, we've been part of starting two charter schools. 
one that still continues to exist called the Arch Community School. It's been a great ministry, been a great ministry and so much learning. And it's a, it's a church that's really a laboratory. Uh, the learning is fluid because people's lives and things that change in people's lives are fluid too in understanding how to bring the gospel to people. Um, and that's the heart of what we do. I, I too am married and I have four children. I guess if everybody's telling their story, one of my children is African-American. I have, uh, hmm, I have six grandchildren. I have grandchildren who are Caucasian. I have grandchildren who are African-American. I have grandchildren who are Hispanic. So um, we cover a gamut of a lot of different things. But it's great to be here and great to be here with Pastor Bowling. He is a blessing to my ministry. And so we're moving forward. Well, we have a history in our country of a fight for civil and social justice. This has been ongoing for for centuries at this point. And you're not the first people to enter into this type of work that you're doing. What is it that made you passionate about continuing on um, in in your work and in your ministries looking for justice in our society? This work was not in my plan. It was definitely God's plan. I had a successful position. I was a director of marketing for a Fortune 500 mortgage company. I made tons of money, um, had a quote unquote great life, considered the owner at the time, my mentor, Jewish man, had a conversation with him one day and I will never forget it. It it changed who I am. Um, He said, you know what? He said, I really like you. He says, "You're, you're, you're just not like that kind of black. And I left out of there and I was so excited. I said, oh, that must mean that, you know, I'm just so special. And I I really didn't process it. I thought it was a positive. And then it just shook me. I remember sitting in my office and I ran to the restroom. I, I promise you, this is a true story. And God said, this is not where I want you to be. And of course, I looked up and anyone that knows me knows that my relationship with God is just as authentic as anything in my life. And I looked up and I said, God, you must have me mistaken. I'm Lee Shell, not Michelle. And it just fell on me. I cried and I walked into the office and I resigned. So I had no idea where I would go. I happened to be driving past a nonprofit in East Baltimore, which is crazy because I lived in Baltimore County. I just was taking a drive. And I walked in and introduced myself and asked them, could I volunteer? And I ended up volunteering in the food bank. And while there, I saw people, the way God has designed me, I can see or feel burdens. Like I have this great way of building rapport with people and kind of encouraging them to be authentic and and, and encouraging them to be as vulnerable as necessary. And I remember sitting in there, this young lady was struggling with eviction. She had three children and she just couldn't connect with her case manager. Well, nonetheless, I introduced myself to the director and I asked her, was she at all hiring? And she said, indeed it is. She said, but this is, you're not going to like it. Here we are almost 18 years later. 
Not only did I like it, I traveled to seven leading Baltimore nonprofits. And what makes me extremely passionate is because as a single mother, my son's 27, I slept in my car. As a single mother, I never traveled inside of social services because I always had this image that I didn't want anyone to see me going in there. So I suffered in silence. I had this uh, misconception of strength. So I would dress my pain up. If I could prevent that specifically within my culture, that's what I would do. You know, to work in the field, as many of us know, it's a God thing. It, it, it simply has to be a God thing. John, was Bethlehem your first call or did you move into that from a different space? I came from uh, being assistant pastor at Christ Lutheran in Peoria, Illinois, which was my vicarage congregation place where I interned as part of my seminary education, came to Bethlehem, 1989. You know, um, as I was listening to that story, my story is kind of like that, but kind of different. Prior to Pastor Bowling coming to to Bethlehem about eight, nine years ago or so, uh, there was always a joke at Bethlehem when people would invite their, their friends to Sunday morning and they'd come in on Sunday morning and worship would get started and all that. And uh, there was a, there was kind of a discomfort that f- at times that friends would have when members invited their friends because our church is like 95% African-American. And, you know, the, the elephant question in the room was always, it would usually be asked after service, people would say to their friends, uh, you got a white pastor. <laughs> you know, and that was loaded. Our members would respond as they've told me, they said, no, what I got is a pastor. You know, that's, I think, the place that I come from in a different way. In, in I mean, it's similar, like like uh, Michelle was saying, as far as it's a God thing. I was called here to bring Christ to people, whoever the people are here. This neighborhood predominantly is African-American, low income. And if it was different, if the neighborhood's makeup was different, then I would be bringing Christ to people in a different way. And... I don't go out searching for justice. Uh, what I mean by that is I'm not looking out, where, you know, trying to find justice issues to say, well, this is wrong or that is wrong. I'm here to encounter people. And then as I walk, with, walk with people and as I serve people, then I start to see, you know, God presents the opportunities in which there's, there's the opportunity for help. That's really kind of the, the direction and the banner that I see in this moment in 2020. I got this t-shirt I'm going to print up. It's called less talky, more survey. And I'm not saying that conversations aren't needed. They are needed. But many times people want to substitute just talk for serving. Lichelle, I'm just getting to know you here on this broadcast, you know, for listeners out there. If I was getting to know you, I would go spend time with you. I would serve you. I would say, hey, how can, you know, I come alongside in your life just like you would for me. And that's where people get to know each other and really get to walk in shoes together, you know, rather than coming with their preconceived notions and conversations and, you know, the stereotypes that you, you know, brought in that, you know, as you, as you brought in your previous uh, uh, career. I haven't met you, but I like you. <laughs> well, Gerard, you are, I don't want to like call you out, but like you're a young man, 
you've chosen to be a pastor and to serve in this way. Like, what what made you passionate about um, loving people um, and serving in the context that you serve in? I was born and raised in New York City. And as uh, Lachelle was speaking, um, it was speaking to me because I've had too many examples of people saying the same thing, saying things like, oh, you speak differently. You speak white. You know, you speak uh, differently than other people as if speaking black is what, you know, I'm asking them to define it. Or the way you act is not the same way as most of those other people act and like grouping those things together. Um, And New York City is the true North, right? This is where we're supposed to have this sort of freedom of everyone's mixed together, very multicultural, which pieces of that are really good. But then those other little tastes of systemic racism are still inside of that. Too. Um, And it caused me to be um, discouraged oftentimes, you know, um, as I grew up. Um, It was funny enough, my sister uh, is also a church worker. um, And we often describe like the Lutheran church, what we thought it was, right? So we didn't know that it was mostly white until we got out of New York a little bit more. We went to the National Youth Gathering and stuff like that. We were like, wow, okay, so this is how this is, (laughs) you know? Um, And so it was, you know, it became something else a little bit um, beyond that. But um, even to that, uh, when it comes to who you are, uh, the expression of who you are and how you serve God's people, it has to be about love for the people and service for the people, no matter what uh, color they are or who they are, uh, and the fact that they deserve to be loved. Um, I kept thinking during Lachelle's story about um, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, when the men are together on the road, uh, and then Jesus joins them and he's walking with them. And it says that Jesus was able to open up the scriptures to them on that walk. And you think about that walk and the distance of that walk, that couldn't have been all that long. And Jesus opened up the entire scriptures to them, you know, Um, what did it take to be able to do that? It took a lot of talking on the part of the Lord and a lot of listening on the part of the men, a lot of talking on the part of the Lord and a lot of listening on the part of the men. I think that if our society took that sort of a view um, to issues, a lot of listening when it comes to what Jesus has to say about certain things, um, to what Jesus has us to do about certain things, and less talking on our part um, of what we're trying to do or what we're trying to attempt, you know, uh, then we'd be able to have the scriptures opened up to us and see the end goal of what Christ is trying to bring us to. Uh, on top of that, this whole social justice argument and conversation that we're having. I always compare it to three prongs. It's a three prong thing. The first thing is education. Whether you're um, a white American or a black American or an in-between American, educate yourself, read books, uh, listen to podcasts, make sure that you know everything about what you know before you post to Facebook or before you do anything else, you know, when it comes to uh, speaking out about it, read a lot and educate yourself. The second thing is empathize. Um, You empathize with that people group by hearing their stories, it becomes very easy uh, behind a computer screen to put up um, that you don't think this or that person matters or this issue is ridiculous in this or that way um, because you haven't empathized with the people. Go ahead and have conversations and hear stories about prejudice firsthand from from people, firsthand um, in the spaces that they're in. Uh, And then you might feel differently um, because you see me face-to-face or somebody else who's a person of color face-to-face or you have us ear-to-ear over the phone. 
And then the third thing is what Pastor Schmicky talked about, walking with people. If you aren't walking with people and serving people and loving on people who don't look like you, then don't even speak at this time. You know, if you aren't doing that work of walking alongside them um, and and serving them in such a way uh, where you begin to know them, um, then don't even say anything. You know, Uh, it's time to talk a little less um, and to serve a little more so that we can truly understand what we're talking about here. We're having this conversation in the wake of nationwide, worldwide, really, protests following the death of George Floyd um, that took place recently in um, the Twin Cities. Lichelle, you talked about being around the protests and things that happened in Baltimore um, after the death of Freddie Gray, Gerard, John, uh, myself, we are in St. Louis. I know we remember um, the events in Ferguson um, after the death of Michael Brown, protests all over the place, some peaceful, some not so peaceful. Most of the world has seen images on their on their newscasts about what's happening in cities when things like this happen. And even in smaller areas, the protests are happening now too. Do you think that there's a fundamental difference in what you're seeing in the conversation today versus what you've seen in the past? Does the current climate stir up something different in you personally um, as you're watching the events, uh, the events unfold day by day? What do you think, Lichelle? Um, I'm a mother. My son is 27 years of age. And I'll share this with you because I share it with anybody. My son has been incarcerated for, I think it's seven years. I kind of blocked it out. My son, probably about two years ago, I hadn't heard from him via call. Gets a call every day, and I hadn't heard from him for about two, three weeks. I'm calling and I'm calling, and they said, Well, yeah, he's still here. I'm saying, I know that. And I got this letter, and he says, Dear mom, I've been beaten pretty bad. I don't know if you're going to get this letter. Help me. I started calling and calling. It got to internal affairs. The two guards were, were white men, and they beat my son pretty bad. He had some fractured ribs. He had concussion. Physically, he had scars all over his face. All of this because as he was walking down the hallway as an inmate, he turned around to address someone. And the rule is in prison that you're not supposed to turn around. And when he turned around, they grabbed him and beat my son. So when it got to internal affairs, your son's incarcerated. What do you expect? To this day, when I'm marching, I march with that in mind. My expectation as a Black woman is that I receive the same level of respect, love, and chances as everyone else in spite of color. And lately, I'm starting to feel like I am wishing or dreaming for something that isn't, is never going to happen. Like I said, I'm 43 years old today. I think I've kind of functioned in this other box And I've not been able to address issues, though I've participated in the march after Freddie Gray. I was really active. I cleaned up the Rite Aid when they burnt it down. I helped the police kind of control the curfew. I spoke to the youth. I made food. I brought food out. But I still, in the back of my mind, I categorized myself as other. So it didn't really affect me. But let's just not talk about Freddie Gray and let's not talk about George Floyd. There's Breonna Taylor. There's Ahmaud Aubrey. There's so many. This thing called racism is, it's, it's attached to a person, but it isn't a thing that I can beat. So I'm having such a difficult time realizing how to 
overcome this invisible thing that rears its ugly head and has shown me that historically speaking, it is stronger than me and it is capable of destroying whenever it feels like. It's tough. So this George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey has shaken me to my core. Um, I'm at work at 5 a.m. and I don't get off of work until about 9.30 p.m. And what I'm doing is I'm doing a lot of praying. I'm doing a lot of crying. I'm doing a lot of pleading. But what the youth and what the community is simply saying with their idea of strategy and how to overthrow this thing called racism, they are saying If you don't hear me, then you're going to feel me. So their threat to hurt, their threat to, you know, kill, overthrow is because they said for years in their own way, I'm a person. Can you just (laughs) give me a chance? And when you don't, this is their only way to fight. So I went to two protests last week. Um, we walked probably about about 35 blocks. And um, as a black woman with white onlookers, yeah, I was 42 at the time. It took me 42 years to be called the N-word. I didn't know how to respond. Um, I got in my car and grabbed a bottle of water and cried. I cried and I think I closed my eyes and wished to somehow, some way, grab my children and get them out of this America and move them somewhere. Don't know where, because I don't think any of us could control being born black or white or Asian or this wasn't my choice, though I wouldn't want to be anything else. But being black in America at this point, specifically being a mother, it's hard. And when I say it's hard, as a black woman, you have no idea that I'm walking around with such a visible target on my back. I see the stares. I hear the names. I see the aggression. I see the distance. I see the separation. I see the lines drawn in the sand. Um, So I don't know how to function. So over the last, um, I say week and a half, I'm trying to take a crash course in surviving. When all my life I've worked hard, I think I've cracked, I thought I scratched the surface of surviving. I should be allowed to live. But at this point, I'm trying to take a crash course in how to survive. Well, Gerard and John Lichelle um, brought up this idea of the topic of racism as she's sharing her story. What role do you take in this conversation for your church and for your community that you're a part of? Yeah, well, I mean, even as she was uh, telling that story, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for trusting us with that. I was thinking about just that. Um, And what I really thought about was, what is the church to people? And what got me thinking about it is my son, Lincoln. He's three years old right now. Our church is predominantly Black. Uh, Where he goes to school, Word of Life in the city here um, is a really mixed together school. There's all colors there and everything. Um, He's got white family. He's got Black family. We expose him to everything, right? And we expose him to this issue. We talk to him about this too, you know, and what's going on. And and I shared this uh, yesterday with some friends and, uh, you know, I I explained to him, I said, you know, when he was going to bed one night, I said, Lincoln, you know, people are mad at each other right now. It's hard because people haven't been treated fairly and they're very upset and they're very, very sad, you know, and they just want to be treated fairly at this moment. 
And I said, you know, when something fair doesn't happen to you, it makes you feel very sad in your heart. Um, and they just want people to hear them and for people to get to know them. So I'm laying in his bed at night and he thinks before he goes to sleep, he's more like my wife where his, his head is always moving of what he's doing. And so his head is moving and buzzing and he goes to me, he said, daddy, you know what? He said, you know, we're a place where they would understand what Jesus was talking about, where they wouldn't be sad. I said, where? He said, the church. And so what that told me was, for our churches that are talking about this um, and communities that are surrounded by churches that are talking about this and they see this as a marathon, which this conversation, this race conversation is a marathon. Great. Good for you because our children are listening. My son is listening, right? Um, which puts the pressure on for preaching and teaching. Our children are listening and they're looking at what we're going to do. And for churches that just haven't even scratched the surface of it, they haven't talked about it, they see it as something other, um, start talking about it. Because that's where our children expect to hear about it. That's where they expect to hear unity talk and to hear talk of who we are in Christ and, and how we walk together. Um, you know, even moreover, on top of that, when it comes to the way uh, that the church deals with things, it's not always the pastor from the pulpit. It's the people in the fellowship hall. How do you speak to each other? Are your conversations seasoned with salt or is it a little too peppery? You know, um, that's what we have to ask ourselves. It comes to our ministry. I remember years ago, Pastor Schmicky, you remember this, our minister of music, Annette Silverbetts, she put on a, a play. Uh, we have a musical every year in the summer. Uh, thanks be to God, uh, a donor allows us to do that. And the musical was Suzical the Musical. Has everybody ever seen that? And it's an all-Black cast because our church is basically an all-Black church. And our kids are working together on Suzical. And a boy, um, one of our young men, sings the song, A Person is a Person No Matter How Small. And that brought me to the moment that Lachelle talked about earlier of seeing everybody as people and seeing everybody as worthy of dignity and honor and respect. He sang that, right? And the whole cast heard that and the whole room heard that. That's how you change a community by speaking that kind of life. A person's a person, no matter how small, you know, we matter. Uh, that's the important thing. Yeah, I love that. John, you have... 20-ish years of experience in North St. Louis. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of shifts in your community and um, just as different, like, as different things are happening around the world, things change. What have you learned about being a church in the midst of a community when there are major conversations happening around the country and the world regarding race? Well, if I can um, uh, redirect the question that you had earlier when you were saying, what about this moment? I'd like to jump into the, into the pool there. I think this is a different moment. I'm waiting to see how different a moment it will be. Here's what I mean by that. I think I share with everybody who watched the video in Minneapolis that it was horrific and unjust and you lose for adjectives of the passion that we have about the wrongness of it. Having been at Bethlehem 30 years, I've, I've lived through and seen a lot of things nationally, including, you know, what we saw here in Ferguson. Here's what, what I want to know. I think the church is exactly like Pastor Bowen said, the agent of change. Every church, city, county, brown, black, white, you know, whatever 
big, small. When I see on TV um, and in person the huge numbers of protests this time and the even greater diversity of protests this time, setting the issue in front of us, which I think is important. Here's what I want to know. I want to know as I go back down to the projects right around our, our neighborhood, in our neighborhood, as I go into the housing projects of O'Fallon Place in St. Louis, or, or if I, as I go into Northwind's uh, apartments out in Ferguson and all that, I want to know after the moment is over, if all of us in the church are going to still be going there into the projects to help the kids coming alongside and yes, policing needs needs to get reformed and court system needs to get reformed, but education needs to get reformed and it's going to take money and employment opportunities need to be reformed. And if we don't go alongside, especially kids, that's really how our ministry got built, kids and youth. I mean, that's one of the advantages of being in a place 30 years so the kids who were who were 12 years old when I came, I'm sorry, 13 years old when I came, Lachelle, they're your age today. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and the thing about it is, is that so many times, we saw this in Ferguson, when the cameras left, when the national yep. attention left, the church left. And I'm just going to say it, the brown yep. church left, the white church left, and the black church left. The low-income churches left and the mega churches left. And until I just, I'm not not throwing stones. What I'm saying is I'm calling opportunity. If we all put boots on the ideas and said, you know what? I'm going to commit to helping somebody else that I know with a hand up to help empower them to be all that the Lord has created them to be. And I believe that comes through knowing Christ Jesus and in helping them in their life to be all the Lord wants them to be. That's when I think real change will come. The question is, when everybody says, I want to do something, and I mean everybody, everybody says, I want to do something. How serious are you about it? And how long are you willing to invest yourself in it? That's kind of where I'm at. So what I hear you saying is change doesn't come quickly. I got to say this too, Gerard and I have talked about this a lot. I hope that a lot of the young people who are protesting, who are advocating for change, I hope they realize that while your passion level still stays strong, change, it does take time because of the ways in which it takes to to, to work through the change. But, But that doesn't mean stop working at it. It just means being committed to working at it long term. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my uh, my best friend yesterday, who's a community organizer in Minneapolis. And so you can imagine that her life has been a little bit wild lately um, and just really, really, really busy and exhausted. And she's looking at changes that are coming up in her job as a community organizer and just like really thinking about what's in the future. And we were talking about burnout and the work that that all of you guys are doing is not easy work. One, it, t- it takes a lot of hours, it takes a lot of emotional involvement. It takes a lot of mental work to do the work that you're doing. And I guess I'd love to hear from you guys on like, what do you do on the hard days, on the days where you wonder if it's making a difference? 
where do you turn? What do you do? And how do you find the strength to keep going? Lichelle, we'll start with you. Wow. So like I said, I begin work at 5 a.m. And there is, my community has a lot of moving parts. So I have homeless, addiction, prostitution, um, drug sales, abandoned houses, businesses who are struggling. But um, my heart um, goes out to the functional homeless. And so I spend probably about maybe two hours a day talking to them. And I think believe that is God's way of saying, push through. Their ability to push through is something that I lean on. It's something that I rely on. I'm learning to persevere because I am just waking up as a Black mother. I am just waking up and realizing that there is no such thing as not that kind. I'm Black. <laughs> black, 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 and Black, Black. Um, so <laughs> it is no such thing as that, not that kind. So I am waking up. I'm apologetic. I'm empathetic. I'm weak. I'm strong. I'm emotional. I'm remorseful. I'm all these things, but I can sit and talk to some of my neighborhood homeless who in their condition, they are so grateful. They are so grateful. I plead with the churches in the community. There are no Lutheran churches in or around um, Sandtown, Winchester, just the, say, say other churches. They've used God as a modern day muzzle. You know, you treat them wrong, but you say what the Lord said, and they just have made these excuses. So my community doesn't have the neighborhood churches to rely on. So they rely on each other to get them through. That's how I get through. I talk to you. Miss Sharon comes to mind every morning. I yell down the alley, Miss Sharon. And she say, I'm coming. And we walk and I go get her coffee and breakfast. She changes her clothes and she may ask me to braid a hair on the side. I braid a hair on the side and she does my rounds with me. And as I'm thinking about it, not a rain, not a sun, not a 90 degree weather does she ever complain. So my, my thought is if God can give you that much, cause that looks like a lot and you cannot, like she doesn't utter one complaint, this little bit that I have to deal with personally and professionally, it ain't worth saying one thing, but thank you, God. So that's where I go. Gerard, how about you on those tough days? Where do you turn for strength and the determination to keep on going? Yeah, so to be completely transparent, the work that we do is really hard. I am so grateful that Pastor Schmicky is my partner in ministry to lean on somebody else and to unload on somebody else on a really hard day, on a day where you've seen somebody's life that was going in a great trajectory um, be taken from them, or you've seen someone's life that was transformed by the gospel take multiple steps back just because of things that happen in the city, the way life moves in the city. Um, you need somebody to be a sounding board, you know, to, to hear you and to talk to. Uh, it's therapeutic. On top of that, I keep like a little journal. You know, I write things down every day that God has done um, in ministry that were beyond just my imagination, anything that I could think 
or um, even dream to be uh, of what he's done. And I remind myself of those things when I start to get down on myself. And, you know, I, I, be- I have at the beginning of that journal, a poem, Mother to Son by Langston Hughes, right? And Mother to Son, uh, it says, uh, the mom says to her son, you know, when he gets tired, when he says he just wants to sit down on the steps, it says, don't you sit down on them steps, right? Um, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. That's what it says. Um, and I think not only of my mother, but I think of all the mothers in our community, all the, the fathers in our community who are trying, who need us. We need to keep going. Um, we can't stop, especially the ministers can't stop. The gospel can't stop. Um, and the number one thing, the devil can't stop it. Amen. Because uh, he'll try his best. He'll do his little stuff and his little mess, but he can't stop it. Between my partner in ministry, Pastor John Schmicky, who reminds me of that, and that journal that's filled with pages, because I've been writing in it for like eight years now or something like that. um, I say, look at what the Lord has done and look what he'll continue to do even in this place. John, I try to shortchange your years at Bethlehem with some shoddy math on my end. Not 20-ish years, 30-ish years. <laughs> 31. He's been there one year longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I enjoyed oh, that. the truth comes out. <laughs> I enjoyed it because you put me back to 47. John, you've been faithfully serving and doing your work for for a little minute now. I'm sure you've seen hard days. What what do you do? How do you find the determination to keep doing the work that you do? Both uh, Lichelle and Gerard have said it well. I mean, it's people that energize and re-energize us. That's why I think the formula of the church is the greatest agent of change. Because when you even whittle down what brings people together in church, it's the fellowship and the encouragement. That's why we're not supposed to stop meeting together because we need to hold one another up. And, you know, in our church family, I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, the last eight, nine years of having Pastor Bowling with me has been extraordinary. It's great to have somebody else to talk to, but it is also huge that we have people in our church to talk to and people who can talk to us. Uh, don't forget that last piece, people who can talk to us. You know, because, you know, sometimes pastors have, have been at a place where they've, they've been concerned about letting people encourage them and letting people pray for them and lift up for them. And Gerard and I are very transparent in the Bethlehem Church. And, you know, we need you to come grab us, you know, and, and, and help pick us up on some days that are really, really hard. That pride gets us set up, you know, that self-pride, that selfie stuff. Nope. It's always about serving. And and then lastly, I just would add, here's where I think our, our Bethlehem family is really trained well. They know what to bring to us. I need you to, to tell me, yeah, I walk with you and I hurt for you. But at the end of the day, I need you to take me to the only one who can bring me healing. And that's the Savior. So if somebody's listening and they're thinking that they want to be more active um, in racial reconciliation, that they want to be more active in these conversations, and they want to be more involved in the change in their community, what advice would would you give them? Gerard, you shared a couple things earlier. Like, what would you say to somebody who says, "What, what should I do? What should I do, Pastor Bowling? What should I do, Pastor Gerard? What should I do? 
Yeah, I mean, I go back to those three prongs again um, and, and looking fully at your community and seeing where you can get involved. I'll say it like this. The first time I ever saw an elephant was in college at Concordia, Chicago. That was the first time I ever saw an elephant. Now, I had seen pictures of an elephant in a book and learned E was for elephant. Um, I had seen videos of an elephant on television and National Geographic, but I had never seen an elephant until I was in person at the Brookfield Zoo and that thing was close to me, right? And I put my arm near its trunk and I saw how massive it was and my leg near its legs and I saw how big it was and I said, wow, now this is an elephant, right? We can look at this on the news. We can talk about it, you know, all we want to. We can do all the learning about it that we want to do, but get out there and do something and face this because this racism, prejudice, this argument is an elephant. It is huge. And we need to be able to see it face to face um, and to be able to learn about it fully, but also walk alongside, again, other people who are experiencing it. There are a lot of resources for you to read. There's a racial reconciliation Bible study Keith Haney has. There's witnessing whiteness courses that you can take if you'd like to. They'll start it in your community for you if you bring it up. Um, and it's a 12-week course you can take. There's a lot of different other books. There's podcasts. A podcast that comes to mind is Layla. She talks about little issues every single day facing the Black community. Go ahead and click on all that stuff, but also get a person to walk with you as well. And there is also, again, no substitution for the word of God. There is no justice like God's justice. And there is nothing like saying to yourself, if I could write every sin on Jesus that he died with, because Jesus died with sin, right? He died for our sins. He died with them. Written on him would be millions of little things that we do, but racism would be written on him too. He died with that. He took that to the cross and he's raised again and he's covered that. So I want everybody to know, realize that is the God that we serve and learn more about that God. We need more of the scriptures pouring into us to learn about that. Beautiful. Thank you. John, words of wisdom to share with us. You know, you brought up the, the, the term racial reconciliation and I understand that term and I think it's a, it's a useful term. I think to most people, though, I think it's a foreign term. I wonder if maybe we would be better. I mean, who cares what we call stuff if we get to where we're supposed to get at the end? And here's what I mean. I wonder if we might be better off helping people understand something they already know about, and that's being church. People have all kinds of understandings about church, but everybody knows something about what church is. You know what church is? Churches, when a man's lying along the road and he's beat up and bruised and he's in need of help. Churches, when another man comes along and he doesn't care how many other people have walked on by. Churches, when maybe the man who comes along doesn't have the time really to stop, but he stops anyway. Knows that he's going to get his clothes messy and bloody, but he stops anyway has only a limited amount of finances, but he stops anyway and picks the man up and puts the man on his donkey and takes him to the local inn and takes his his Samaritan credit card and says, here, just swipe it and whatever it costs, church is when you come with mercy. Same mercy that Jesus showed day after day after day after day. 
I'd like to rather start there because everybody knows something about church, but maybe we can help clarify what church is really to be according to Jesus and then just amp it up to the level that it is so desperately needed in this moment in history. Mm. Lichelle, it started with you walking into a building and asking how you could volunteer and if you could start working there. <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody who says, how can I get involved? What one piece of wisdom would you share? One piece of wisdom is, listen, the community that you're aiming to service, do not come in with any preconceived notions mm. and don't come in with your own agenda or motive. Listen. Mm-hmm. Listen. Listen is a very intricate uh, piece of building relationship. Listen is the is a very intricate piece in relaxing that defense. Listening is a very intricate piece in, for lack of better words, um, getting to the root of the pain. So many, many times, as much as I have talked today and as much as I will introduce myself to someone and talk, I'm the complete opposite at, and, at work. I'm a listener. I walk. I sit and I listen because none of us, even a black woman, Gerard, a black man, uh, Pastor John, a white man, Rachel, a white woman can understand the level of pain the communities that we're aiming to service have experienced. I learned very early on just saying as a knee jerk reaction, I understand is insulting. So I listen. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to listen today. Um, I wish this conversation could just keep going. I wish we could all sit down around a table and and hang out and learn from each other and our experiences. Um, But I'm so glad that you all um, took the time to share with us today. And uh, we will be praying for you all in your work and in your ministry. And um, it was such a pleasure to have you here on the call today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. I look forward to you. I'm sitting around the table soon with you all. This conversation has been so good that we're going to keep the recording going. There are some important questions that need to be asked, and we want to keep listening and learning. In Micah 6 verse 8, the prophet gives these instructions. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And yet, many of us find that we don't even know where to start. Today, we got to hear and learn from Lichelle, Gerard, and John, who are working in diverse settings with a diversity of needs. In our next episode, we will ask more specifically what the church can be doing now. You won't want to miss this conversation, so be sure to subscribe to this podcast, Action in Ministry. I'm Rachel Legutte. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action, and send us an email.